to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Every week we will cover one of the many cases of reported reincarnation experiences so that we can explore the reported facts of reincarnation and bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I would like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. I'd also like to thank Dr Jim Tucker, who wrote about this case in his book Return to Life, which can be purchased from Amazon.com and pretty much any good bookseller. Every one of my cases tells the story of the deaths of people who are precious to other people, and this case is particularly poignant as it recounts the story of a woman who lost her extremely young child tragically after a long medical fight. But the question is, did he end up finding his way back to her? Unfortunately, in discussing this case in the book, Dr Tucker fails to mention dates and times of when events occurred, so I can't give you a good idea of which era this occurred or when. Our story begins with Lisa a young woman who was going through a tough time of her own. Lisa had been in a relationship and had given birth to a young boy by the name of Kevin. Unfortunately, her relationship was having problems, so Lisa ended up leaving, taking Kevin with her and striking out on her own. Things were okay for a little while, as Lisa adjusted to life as a single mother, and both mother and son were doing well. She even found love again and started dating a new man. Then, Kevin developed a limp around 16 months of age. The limp was intermittent at first, but after three weeks it had progressed and he started limping all of the time. She took him to his local doctor, who ordered more tests, to try and work out what was going on. Kevin was admitted to hospital for three days, and while a bone scan appeared to be normal, x-rays showed extra fluid had accumulated in his left hip joint. The doctor initially thought it might be infected. Kevin was still limping when he was discharged. He fell over two days later and this time when he went back to hospital, doctors found he had a broken leg. They put his leg in a cast, but it was so painful for Kevin to wear that they had to take it off again three days later. At that point, Kevin could no longer weight bear on the leg and he was refusing to walk. Lisa was very concerned and, seeking answers, took him to an orthopaedic surgeon. More x-rays were ordered and these demonstrated some destruction in two bones of the leg on Kevin's left leg. The doctor told him Kevin had a tumour in his leg. Again, Kevin found himself back in hospital. There ensued a two-week period of tests as doctors tried to work out what was happening in the little boy. Lisa, of course, was becoming more and more anxious as she sought answers and the two weeks of uncertainty were extremely distressing. At first, they suspected leukaemia, which is a diagnosis that no parent wants to have bandied about when discussing their sick child. Was it leukaemia or wasn't it? The doctors shuffled the idea back and forth over the two weeks, at times considering it and then moving back from it as a diagnosis. But as the weeks went on, it became clear that even the devastating diagnosis of leukaemia would have been preferred. Kevin was transferred to a tertiary children's hospital to continue his workup. Along with his swollen leg, doctors noted that his left eye was bulging and bruised and he had a nodule above his right ear that might have been a tumour. 
they began to suspect a neuroblastoma, which is a cancer that begins in the nerve tissue somewhere in the body, often in the adrenal gland above the kidneys, and then metastasizes to other sites in the body. An x-ray of Kevin's kidneys showed a mass at the top of his left kidney. A skeletal survey then revealed various lesions and an opaque area over his bulging left eye. On the fourth day in hospital, a biopsy was taken of the nodule above his right ear and the doctors inserted a central line, which is a large IV in the right side of his neck. A central line is placed when doctors might need to perform a lot of treatment as it can stay in place for over a year. Understandably, puncturing the veins all the time to take blood or put IVs to give fluids can damage the veins quite a lot and often veins can't handle the amount and type of infusions that might need to be given and this is why a central line is so valuable. It's used to take bloods from and to administer fluids or to provide therapy treatment like chemotherapy which is extremely harsh on the veins of the body and it allows treatment to be given with minimal damage to the body or unnecessary pain to the patient. Unfortunately, the biopsy confirmed the diagnosis of metastatic neuroblastoma. While Lisa finally had the relief of a diagnosis, it was a terrible outcome, as the prognosis or outcome was very dire. Kevin started getting chemotherapy through the central line. Sometimes the site where the chemotherapy would enter his neck became inflamed at times, but overall he tolerated the treatment well. He also started radiation treatment that would continue after he left hospital, including to his left eye and his left leg. Finally, 10 days after he arrived, he was allowed to go home. For Kevin himself, while the treatments were uncomfortable, he was too young to realise what was happening and how hard the doctors were fighting to try and save his life. So he generally was a happy child who played just like any other kid. For Lisa, however, it was a devastating time. She watched her beautiful plump baby with his head full of light curls become thinner, lose his curls and become bald, and sustain bruising around his left eye, which looked displaced like it was being pushed out. But he still kept his personality and his content persona. Lisa has some photos of Kevin from that time showing his battered little body his big beaming smile and his fascinated interest as he explored a toy fire station. Kevin had to return to hospital six months after he left as he started bleeding from the gums. Lisa was told that the cancer had infiltrated his bone marrow and his body was no longer able to make enough platelets so his blood would no longer clot. He was also developing bruising around his right eye along with the faded bruising from his left. Lisa tells Dr. Tucker that Kevin was blind in the left eye at that point. With this new development, doctors told Lisa that Kevin had reached the end stage of his illness and there was nothing they could do to save him. Kevin was going to die soon. He received one more platelet transfusion and one day of radiation to his right eye socket. He was discharged home and two days later, at the apartment where he lived with Lisa, he died. When Kevin died, Lisa found life extremely difficult. She struggled with her loss, grieving her beautiful little boy, and she felt empty inside. The days dragged along, and every day she pined for him, wanting him back. But life goes on, no matter what we're going through. 
Her relationship with the man she had met before Kevin got sick had continued throughout his illness, and they married following Kevin's death. Lisa soon gave birth again to a daughter, Sarah. However, the relationship foundered and they ended up divorcing after four years. Lisa remarried again. She had a second son, Jason, and then, 12 years after Kevin died, she gave birth to Patrick by caesarean section. This child was different. This child felt like he was connected to Kevin in some way. Lisa felt it as soon as she held him. She didn't have that feeling with her other children, but this birth was different. She felt the weight of the grief that she carried for Kevin all of these long years lift from her and release. She saw a physical resemblance in the two boys, but there was more to it than that. Lisa soon noticed an opacity covering Patrick's left eye. It was diagnosed as a corneal leukoma. Patrick was seen by an ophthalmologist and examined periodically for it. The opacity diminished after several weeks, but it did not completely disappear. While it's hard to assess the vision in the eyes of babies, Patrick was essentially blind in the left eye, just as Kevin had been blind in that eye at the end of his life. Lisa also felt a lump on Patrick's head, just above his right ear, in the same location as the neuroblastoma metastasis that had been discovered in Kevin. Five years later, Dr Tucker examined the nodule himself when he went to interview Lisa and Patrick. The nodule had migrated slightly to behind his ear, but it was definitely there. Dr Tucker states that the nodule was one centimetre in diameter. It was not tender at all and Patrick let them press on it as much as they wanted. Patrick was also born with an unusual mark on his neck. It was a dark slanted line that was approximately four millimetres long when Dr Tucker met him and it looked like a small cut. It was on the front of his neck on the right, which is the very area where the central line had been placed in Kevin. This was confirmed by accessing Kevin's medical notes where the insertion of the central line was documented in Kevin's operation report. One other curious and inexplicable feature was that Patrick limped when he had no medical reason to have a limp. He had an unusual gait where he would swing out his left leg. This matched the way that Kevin had walked as he had to wear a brace after breaking his leg. Even at the age of five, when Dr Tucker asked Kevin to walk across the room, he was still limping slightly, even though he had no need to. But Patrick didn't just show the characteristics of the injuries done to Kevin's body, he also remembered his life. When Patrick was four years old, he began talking about Kevin's life. One of the first things he said was that he would like to go back to the other house. There were times when he seemed almost desperate to return. Lisa asked him why he felt he needed to return so strongly. Did he forget some clothes he wanted or was there a toy he missed? He answered, don't you remember? I left you there. Lisa answered, yeah, but you have me here now. Lisa asked Patrick what their home had looked like. Patrick had replied that it was chocolate or orange. Lisa and Kevin's home had actually been an apartment rather than a single dwelling and the building was in fact an orange and brown building. Patrick would come out with statements at random times. If Lisa tried to get him to talk about Kevin, Patrick would usually want nothing to do with it, but then later he might mention something out of the blue. Lisa was getting ready for work one day when Patrick asked her if she remembered when he had surgery. 
After she told him he'd never had surgery, he said, sure I did, right here on my ear, and pointed to the spot above his right ear where Kevin's tumour had been biopsied. Lisa asked him to describe the surgery, but he said he didn't remember it because he was asleep. Another time, Patrick became excited when he found a picture of Kevin. Lisa didn't keep pictures of Kevin up in the house. Patrick's hand started shaking and he said, here is my picture, I've been looking for that. He was definite as he looked at the picture and said, that's me. Patrick remembered a small brown puppy that stayed with the family. Lisa had looked after her mother's dog when she moved into an apartment complex that didn't allow pets. The week before Dr Tucker visited, Patrick said, do you remember when we went swimming? Patrick had actually never been swimming, but he described a day when he had had a swim at his grandmother's apartment block. He recalled how they dunked a man's head underwater and mimicked the sound he had made when he resurfaced and came up for air. The man Patrick recalled would most logically have been Lisa's ex-husband, the man that she was dating through Kevin's illness. When interviewed by Dr Tucker, the man didn't recall taking Kevin swimming. However, it was at least 17 years before, so it would be understandable for him not to remember, though he did remember taking Kevin to the park one day. Lisa's ex had no opinion either way about the possibility of reincarnation. However, he did feel that Lisa's grief had eased with the birth of Patrick. He said that Lisa had been extremely close to Kevin and had suffered deeply when he died. He told us he had attended the interview because he hoped study of the case might help Lisa. As Patrick became more used to Dr Tucker, he became more willing to talk about it. However, at times he would relate to Kevin in the third person. Dr Tucker wondered whether this was because he was struggling to make sense of having the memories of another person. Patrick talked about going to the zoo with Kevin and their cousin. Patrick had been to the zoo once, two years before, but he'd not been with his cousin, while Kevin had gone a number of times. Patrick talked about Kevin's bedroom and its two closets. Kevin's bedroom had only one closet, but it did have two sliding doors that opened on both ends. Patrick described an apple-shaped water ball. Lisa said Kevin had a bathtub toy like that. He also talked about going to a ranch that had bulls. Patrick had never been to one, but Kevin had indeed been to a cattle ranch that his aunt owned. Dr Tucker had visited Patrick and Lisa two years after their initial visit. Patrick had continued to say unusual things and had recalled another life other than the one he remembered as Kevin. This life appeared to be the life before the life of Kevin and was set in Hawaii. He talked about a family there and a son who had died and recalled a statue melting due to a volcano and how the townspeople rebuilt it. The final recollection related by Patrick is very intriguing. Quite a few months before Dr Tucker arrived for a second visit, Patrick was sitting talking to his mother as she fixed dinner. He asked, do you know you have a relative that nobody talks about? He said that he had met his relative in heaven before he was reborn as Patrick. The relative was slender and tall and he had brown hair and brown eyes. He told Patrick that he was named Billy and said he had the nickname of Billy the Pirate. Billy told Patrick that he'd been killed by his stepfather. His stepfather had shot him at point blank range in the mountains and this relative was upset that nobody spoke of him anymore in the family. When Patrick told Lisa this, she was surprised. She'd never heard of a relative called Billy. 
When she asked her mother about it, she discovered that her mother's sister had had a son called Billy, and Billy had indeed been killed by his stepfather three years before Lisa had been born, and the family never spoke of it, which is why she'd never heard of him before. When she relayed the nickname Billy the Pirate, her mother had burst out laughing and said that Billy had indeed been known by that nickname because of his unruliness and wild ways. She said she hadn't heard of it since Billy's death. There is absolutely no way that Patrick could possibly have known about Billy the Pirate. I don't know what happened to Patrick as I can't find any reference at all to it anywhere. This is one of those cases that you hear of but that remain quite elusive seeming to slip away from you the more you seek them out. So I'll just send a hope out into the ether that both of them get to live long, happy and safe lives together. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you've enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation, or if you can relate your own experiences of your own past life memories, I would love to hear about them and I can be reached by email on reincarnationplr at gmail.com or through my website reincarnationplr.com. If you would like to keep up to date on my latest podcast posts, you can find me on Facebook under Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited or on Twitter and Instagram under reincarnationplr. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Mm -hmm.